My first guest, I am so excited to have him. Uh, he's been a comedian for over 40 years. He's worked with, I mean, he's worked with the best. He's worked with Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Sam Kinison, you name it. And he's written for Bill Maher, uh, Tom Green, Jay Leno, and my hero, David Letterman. He's been nominated five times for an Emmy Award for his work on The Late Show. Please welcome Gabe Abelson. What's up, Gabe? It's good to see you, John. It's been a long time. Good to see you. I don't think I've seen you since we did a show at a synagogue in San Bernardino. Oh my God! I wow. think that was what. <laughs> That's got to remember be, that gig. It's got to be four years ago. Oh my yeah. God! Four years yeah. ago, yeah, yeah. I I don't forget my synagogue gigs. <laughs> I've only done a few of them, but they're all unforgettable. They're all unforgettable. I want to know more about you and how you got into comedy. Uh, boy, I mean, I could start way back. I grew up a block away from where George Carlin grew up when I was a little kid. His mother, I didn't know of George Carlin. It was before I had his albums, before he, he had albums, actually. When I was a little kid, she was already elderly and would tell me stories about him, and I became interested. Then I, I discovered who George Carlin was, and I just, I, you know, I memorized all the albums, the usual story of, of comedians, and uh um, and then I started doing some cabarets in high school and I just knew that was what I wanted to do. So back then you couldn't major in comedy. Now you can at a few universities like Emerson. Uh, and so back then I studied drama with Lee Strasberg, uh, method acting for four years. And, but I knew the moment I graduated, I went right to the comic strip in New York, passed auditions. And there were no such thing as open mic nights back then. Uh, you either passed auditions at a club or you didn't. So there was none of this working clubs for free, hoping you'll get on. You either did or you didn't. Um, it was a very small business then. Uh, so I did stand up professionally for a living for about 14 years. And then I was doing the audience warm up for Bill Maher's Politically, Politically Incorrect New York. And that's really the toughest job as a stand up, which is you're basically a cheerleader. The audience warm-up comes in during the commercial breaks and tries to keep the audience, you know, lively. Um, uh, uh, the, basically a comedy fluffer would be the description of that job. Uh, and so I had some idea. I had a couple of ideas for jokes for Bill Maher's monologue. I don't know why it never occurred to me in 14 years of stand-up to try this. And they said, yeah, sure, try it. So I tried it. And the first night I ever tried it, half the monologue was mine. Uh, and I just started selling a, a ton of jokes. After a couple of weeks, they said, we want to put you on retainer. Then I was on that. And then they moved out to L.A., which is eventually what brought me out to L.A. years later as a staff writer. Uh, but then then the similar thing happened. Once the show was done in New York, I happened to be doing actually a synagogue with the wife of who was the uh, head monologue writer for Letterman. I happened to have my packet with me, showed it to her, said, well, call my husband. These are funny jokes. I knew him from stand up. So then that started there um, and it was unusual because it was the only show in late night with there was only one monologue writer who was my predecessor. Uh, he sort of took it upon himself to make that his department. And so, um, um, so I had about 10 people just faxing jokes to me every day, but I was the only one on staff writing. It was a lot of pressure. It was just me and Dave in his dressing room every day going over the jokes. Uh, with Tony, the cue card guy. And uh, it was the first job I ever had in TV and in a way the most stressful and most important. 
That's what I was going to say. Was your first real job was with Letterman? Was that your first? Absolutely. Real That's day? what got me into the Writers Guild. Yeah. So um, I'm doing the synagogue with uh, God Rest Your Soul, Adrian Tosh, hilarious comic. And her, I knew her and her husband from stand-up. Uh, and her husband was the head monologue writer for Letterman and also like Dave's best friend, too, which is a big reason why he had that department, you know, all to himself. They were very close, still are. Um, and so um, I showed her my packet from Politically Incorrect. And I said, do you think Dave might be interested? And she said, send them to my husband. I can't make any promises, but these are funny. So I sent them to him and he said, you're on the facts team. These are hilarious. And they're in Dave's voice. And so the same thing happened. It took a little longer, but I faxed and then they put me on retainer after a couple of months. And it was more money because it was CBS as opposed to Comedy Central. So I was making, I don't know, five, 600 a week on retainer plus doing my stand up at night. And, you know, in the mid nineties, people, people don't, you know, that aren't in comedy don't realize there hasn't been that money since like the early nineties. After that, it's never been the same since then. Like 80% of the clubs closed you know, in the 90s. And so what it did was sort of even out my income. But I never thought there'd be any room to get a job there because there was just Bill and that was it. And one day out of the blue, he calls me up after months of, of being on retainer and he says, I'm leaving the show to write a book. Would you be interested in my job? And, then, and it was one of those days where you don't, you never forget where you were standing yeah. when you got the call, you know, yeah. Bill Maher, when you worked for him, was it more like, were you in the writer's room with him or you just basically yes, said jokes? How was he yeah. to work with? Was he a cool guy? Yeah, it, it's been different on every other show. Every other show has been the same except Letterman. Letterman, it was sort of my own little uh, fiefdom there at the show. But on every other show I've worked, yes, we have our writer's meeting in the morning. Everybody goes back to their office to work on monologue for an hour, an hour and a half, whatever. And then we all work on contributing towards sketches or desk bits or whatever's in the rest of the show. And we toss around ideas and so forth. But monologue is really a solo job. Yeah. It's funny because you are talking about cue cards before and I found a cue card to a Bill Maher joke. And it's it's just interesting the, the way the different style of writing shows as Tell opposed to how Dave liked it, huh? Tell me the... Oh, you want to see the joke? I'll show you yeah, the cue yeah, So this is, I don't know if you remember, this, well, many years ago, um, there, I think it was in Chile, there were like 15 coal miners that were stuck in a mine shaft for like weeks. And they had to like get them food down there. And they, they all, nobody knew they were going to die from like day to day. And they were miraculously all rescued. Um, yes, yes. Uh, nine, I see here nine. So this was the joke. And so this is a very straightforward cue card. Every word is on the card. It's not so with Letterman. So the big news over the weekend, they saved those nine coal miners from the mine shaft. You know, when I first saw the headline miners rescued, I thought, oh, great. Another church scandal. <laughs> that actually goes against everything I preach, that joke, which is oh. play on words. But I always say that um, puns, puns especially, are okay if they conjure up really funny visuals or funny situations. But just a word that cuts two ways isn't gonna get it done in late night. You, Always, as Dave said, try to paint the word picture. You have to tell me that pun that I love, that pun that I love, because Letterman, you told me in the past, hated puns. He did. But there's he did. one joke that you did and I love it. And you have to, 
Oh God, there's a story Tell attached to it. it. No, there's a story attached. It Tell us about the story. pun story, please. Okay, okay. So yes, Dave hated puns. When I first started working for him, I gave him a pun and he threw a cue card at me, almost decapitated me. So I know, okay, no more puns for Dave from now on. And I happen to agree with him, by the way. There's a number of people in late night who don't. Uh, I'm not talking about hosts, writers. I mean, that that don't have a problem with it. Dave did, and I, I am on the same page with him as that. But in any case, one day I got a pun, and it wasn't mine. It was one of my freelancers. Um, and it made me fall out of my chair laughing. And believe me, me having to read 250, 300 jokes a day, there wasn't much that made me laugh out loud. And so I went to Tony. I wasn't going to give it to Dave. I didn't put it on the sheets that I would submit to Dave because I would have to pick about 75 out of the 300 jokes and he would check off the ones he liked. So, uh, but I didn't want to give him this. So I went to Tony, the cue card guy, and, and I said, what do you think? Is this funny? And he almost fell out of his chair. And I said, I'm afraid. He said, no, no, no. I'm putting this on a cue card. Screw it. I'm putting it on a cue card. So we go to rehearsal and I, and we get through the jokes and, and Dave sees I'm holding onto a card. He says, is that another joke? I said, yeah. He said, well, show it to me. And I said, I, I can't show it to you. Um, because you got to make me a promise. I know how much you hate puns. He said, just show me the joke. Dave didn't have any time for BS. And I said, you have to promise you won't yell at me because last time getting this close in my face, turning purple is David Letterman. No, he said, okay, okay. I won't yell at you. And I showed him the joke and he doubled over laughing. So the joke was, I think it was in the year 2000. It was the winter Olympics in Nagano, I believe. And there was a skier named Peekaboo Street who won like all the gold medals. Um, uh, you know, uh, she was like the Michael Phelps of back then. I mean, just won everything. And so she got every endorsement deal, Nike and Wheaties and all of the usual. And so what she did was there was a story in the paper that she was donating the half the proceeds um, from her endorsement deals to build a new wing of the hospital in her hometown. So her name was Peekaboo Street, famous skier. So the joke was Peekaboo Street is taking half the money from endorsement deals to do, uh, uh, donate it to a local hospital to build a new wing in her hometown. And in her honor, they're calling the new wing the Peekaboo ICU. And that was the joke. I love that joke. <laughs> it's just, it's so good. It's so bad. It's so good. You know, it's yeah. just, yeah. So that is one of the exceptions to the uh, the rule. But that's, to be fair, that's not a pun at all. That's just a really clever mashup, yeah. in a way. Um, when when were you at Letterman? What were... The uh, 96 through 2001, the end of 2001. I went to the show in 2002. And I'm going to show you this, and I'll show it later on. This is me sitting on Letterman's set. And I'm not sure if you can see There that. you are. Yep. I see you. Yeah. Yep. And that wasn't his real seat because his real seat, it was like a shrine. It was yeah. way back, it was backstage and, and they had, had a cloth sheet, over it. Right. Yep. It had a sheet or a cloth over it. And I was sitting in some weird chair that wasn't his because no one could sit with his chair, because it was the right height. It was right. only for him. Right. But um, that was one of the highlights of my life, was just I, sitting there at his desk. It was. I can imagine, especially in that theater, in the Ed Sullivan Theater, that's yeah. been there for about 120 years, maybe 110 yeah. years. 
They and, have, yeah. Yeah, and he revitalized that whole thing because wasn't it sitting there for years? Nothing yeah, was in the theater. For years, but see, here's the thing. It's really, really not, well, obviously it wasn't built to be a TV studio. TV didn't exist. Movies didn't exist. I mean, sound movies didn't exist at least. Um, but it's a ter- it's a terrible theater for television because they had, first of all they had to completely redo the acoustics and hang stuff from the ceiling because it's cavernous. The other thing is, like at NBC in his old studio or Fallon's new studio, the audience is raked straight up straight up above the stage. But because this was before then. Uh, 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 well, well, but yeah, decades before TV, the audience is below the stage and the stage is very high up. It's about 10 or 15 feet and you have these giant CBS cameras. So consequently, no one in the orchestra can see what's going on on stage. That's why there are tons of monitors. Everybody has to watch it on a monitor. So it's the toughest show for stand-up comics to do well on because they're separated. There's a distance from the audience. It's like doing a Zoom show almost in stand-up. So there's that separation, you know, where you have the immediacy in all the other television studios that were built as TV studios where you're right up against the crowd, you know. So, yeah. You know I love Letterman. Is there something else there you can show me from the set? Um, I can show you, uh, um, I can show you cue cards. I can show you uh, I got all my jackets, my late show jackets. Oh, late show jackets and everything. That's all right. Why don't I erase that part? I won't show that. Okay. Part. I'll show you some cue cards if you want. I have. No, no. I'll cut that. Um, no, no. I was saying, if you want, I have plenty of Letterman cue cards. And as you can see, they're written very differently than Bill Mars. Yeah. Bill so, Mars is very just like straight. And just straightforward. And you'll see how easy it is. I mean, look at this. Look, look at this joke. Okay, you can read this whole thing. In honor, oh, the, the audience was from Nashville, Nashville. Okay, we had the whole audience from Nashville. So, in honor of our audience from Nashville, the hookers in Times Square, God bless their hearts, are offering their country music special. For an extra 50 bucks, you get a hoedown. What's and, the one above it? What's the one above it with the Twin Towers? Oh, oh, Nashville and New York have a lot in common. We have the Twin Towers, you have Dolly Parton. Boy, is that joke dated now. Oh, my. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, and this is a typical Dave joke, a uh, little inside story. When you have the uh, the pound sign, the hash mark, that means it's the last joke of the monologue. Okay. Only Dave did that. Uh, speaking of sex, I guess that's what the previous joke was. That's what most of our jokes were about. According to a new study, the American Medical Association, sex makes men forgetful. I think sex does make men, your, uh, uh, it does affect your memory. For example, afterwards, I always forget to tip. So that's a very Dave joke. Nobody else does that joke. That's got his thumbprint all over it, you know. Right. Now, yeah. you worked for Letterman, and then once Letterman was done, you went and worked for Leno right after that? Yes, or Bill, Bill Jeff actually wrote a couple of books. Then he came back to the show. Then I went to MTV in New York and I did a couple of pilots there. Uh, and then um, I thought, well, you know, now by this time I had an agent. I didn't have an agent uh, at first uh, with Politically Incorrect. I didn't have an agent when I was on Retainer. In fact, I called a, a big agent, a, a huge agency who was recommended. I was recommended to her by the head monologue writer at Letterman. 
She couldn't sign me. The next week I get the, the job through Dave, she signs me. So, you know, so once you have the agent and as, as they told me, well, like with five years at Letterman, it leads one job into the next. So after I was there, I then sent my packet to Politically Incorrect, but now I was an established television writer. So I got a st- job as a staff writer. That brought me out to LA. I was politically incorrect till it went off the air on ABC. Then I went down the hall to Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn, produced by Letterman's company. Um, then I created a show called Mind Dementia. Then I was the head writer uh, and producer on the Tom, new Tom Green show. Uh, and then I went to Leno. And then, you know, there's been just sequence of jobs. Let me ask you, my, my thing was when I was a kid, being a writer on Letterman was it. And I got rejection letters and I wanted to find them for you. I can't find my rejection letters from Letterman. And it was around the time when you were there, I think. So yeah. if anything, you rejected me, Gabe. No. You rejected no, no. my monologue writing. You didn't send it to me. You didn't send well, it to I sent it to somebody there. Yeah, you probably sent a full packet to the head writers of the whole show. I did. I sent a top 10 yeah. list and, you know, monologue jokes. And I didn't get it, Gabe. Why not? God damn it. <laughs> because that just happens more often than not, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But, but you know, with monologue, it, it was different. If somebody wanted to freelance for the show, they would send me a packet. And if I thought these were jokes that, you know, if there were a few there that I thought Dave would use, or if I knew they had his voice, I would approve them for the fax team. I could only approve so many people because I only had so much time. But here's the thing. As you know, I teach late night writing. Um, I teach at a comedy club called Flappers out here. Uh, and I also do private work. And I have students working on almost every talk show. And I'm very proud because this week I have my first uh, former student who is not only a multi Emmy winner, but is now an Oscar winner as well. His name is Trevon Free. And he won the Oscar for best short subject for Two Distant Strangers. And I'm so proud of him. Uh, I took my class at Flappers. Uh, and here's what I want to tell people. If they're interested in studying uh, late night writing, the, here's the reason you didn't get the job. You, I was sort of grandfathered in. You probably didn't get the job because you didn't learn how to do it. This is not stand up. It's like saying, well, I know German. I can speak French. Well, no, you can't. You'll know a lot of the words. A lot of the words in English, too, will be almost the same. But there'll be more that you don't know. And more important, or I should say equally important, are the red flags. I always tell my students, stay away in your packet from what I call first date jokes, uh, sexual orientation, race, religion, death, disease. You know, they're red flags. They see one joke like that. They go, well, this person doesn't watch late night closely enough in the garbage. It's like if you hand in a script in Hollywood, a feature script, you know, which is on copy paper with the three hole punch and you put a brass bread in the top hole and the brass bread in the bottom hole. Well, if you were to put a brass brad in that center hole and send it to a studio, it would go in the garbage before they even opened up to the first page. And then put it in the middle one, Gabe. (laughs) But anyway, let me ask you something really quick because Letterman... Anyway, so can I I just, if I may finish? Yeah, of course. So if you want to learn how to be a monologue writer, you can um, feel free to contact Flappers, the the comedy club, which I'm affiliated with, or um, you can reach out to me, Gabe Abelson, at Gabelson, G-A-B-E-L-S-O-N, or you can study from someone else. But this is one thing I would like to say. A lot of people, a lot of comedy teachers out there say that they wrote for Jay Leno for 15 years, wrote for that show, 
And they actually didn't. What they did was fax to the show. So whatever teacher you're looking at, always look up the show that they said they wrote for to see if they actually did. And the reason it's so important is half of this is not just knowing how to get the job, but how to keep the job. And it's so political and socially, certain things are really important that you've got to know all of this going in. You've got to be prepared for what to do and equally prepared for what not to do. And you can only know that by actually having worked on staff and been at the show every day for 10 hours, not just faxing jokes from your living room. So anyway, that's why I wanted to just let people know. And if anyone knows about that, it is Leno. And he actually said something about you. And I have a clip right now. Uh-oh. Okay, and then I'll show the clip. That was very impressive. Thanks. And it only cost me 50 bucks. I was going to say, what did it you charge? No, no, it was very but nice. Was it? Now, because when I was younger, I wanted to be a writer and all that stuff on a talk show, specifically Letterman. I always thought it would be fun and games. It's very stressful, isn't it, Gabe? In, well, yeah, that show was very, very stressful. Very, very stressful, especially, I mean, the whole monologue kind of falling on my head was, even though I wasn't the only one writing it, I was the one responsible for it. It was very intense. And like you, I'd been a Letterman fanatic. And so here was my, you know, comedy God and my first time in television. I didn't know squat about TV back then. Um, so it was trial by fire for sure. And I learned so much. And that's the thing from having done this now uh, for 25 years, stand up for 41 years. I've, de I've been teaching uh, off and on when I'm not on staff or I'm not on the road for, I've been teaching for 37 years, way before I had a right to. So I've deconstructed this stuff for so long. It's really very formulaic, late night writing. And once you understand the formulas and techniques, you can experience great success. It's about building up your average. You'll never bat a thousand, ever, ever. It's all about batting, you know, your, your best average. In fact, one of my favorite stories, I don't know if I ever told you this, John. They once asked Seinfeld when he was coming up as a young comic who his hero was, thinking he'd say George Carlin or Pryor, and he said Ted Williams. They said, Ted Williams was your idol as a, as a comedian? He said, yeah. They said he was a baseball player. Why? And Jerry said something that I never forgot, and I tell every student I work with. Jerry said, uh, he was the guy I looked up to because he failed two out of every three times he had to do his job. He failed two out of three times and yet is considered the greatest pure hitter in the 150 year history of baseball. And that puts it in such perspective or should put it in perspective for young comics or young aspiring late night writers who think most of what I write, I'll use. No, most of what you write, you will throw away. If I wanted to write 10 jokes for a packet, even after 41 years in comedy, I will write 50 jokes to get 10 that I'm happy with. So it's all about your average. Right. Never about, like they say in screenwriting, you got to be willing to kill your babies, to kill the jokes that aren't, aren't there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've written for Leno and Letterman. Who did you like working for more? Who was, who was a better boss? What was the better show, in your opinion, because you worked on each? Completely different. Um, you know, I, 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 it's completely different. I mean, I have since developed uh, another uh, working relationship with Jay uh, since the show. 
so we talk pretty often, um, and I haven't spoken to Dave in, in a couple of decades. Uh, the, it was just a completely different show to work on. With Leno, Leno, I got to produce all of a sudden. I got to produce original commercial parodies, and it was a different kind. All of a sudden, I was a screenwriter in a way. I mean, I wrote a, a parody for a... Um, um, uh, like a George Foreman grilling machine type thing called the Holy Grill that imp imprints your favorite sandwiches with religious figures, and then you can sell them for thousands on eBay. So it was unbelievable. I wrote this thing, Jay approved it, and they said, okay, the uh, um, head writer said, go ahead, meet with the set department. And I had no idea what I was doing. So I brought my sketch down and I said, uh, so can you build me something that looks like a kitchen? And they said, you mean a kitchen? I said, yeah. They said, two walls or three walls? I said, I don't know, give me three walls. And we're in this big white room, a soundstage, nothing in it. I go to my office. I come down three hours later for the shoot. There is a kitchen in there to die for. They built an entire room of a house with a window, with sunlight coming through, a tree in the yard. There was an island in the middle of the kitchen, you know, a granite countertops, stainless steel appliances. And I'm thinking this was just in my head a few hours ago and I'm looking at it. And so then anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. After I went to the set department, I went to the casting department. I cast the actress. I even went to wardrobe to decide what she would wear. I directed the shoot. When I was done, I took the card out. I went to edit and then the editing bed, the editor did it, but I directed the edit. And so it was amazing seeing the process through from beginning to end. So but in going from just being a line writer, a joke writer, to producing these, you know, very uh, large budget production pieces. So that was, it was a totally different kind of job. All right, we're back with Dave Abelson, the head writer of Letterman for five years with five Emmy nominations, but you didn't win any, Gabe, so I don't know. So Well, John, not quite. I didn't win on a, a technicality that the writers didn't win. However, Every year we were up for it, we won Best Comedy Variety Series, all five of those years. That's right. Why, why didn't you get an Emmy for that? Because oh, well, I got a lovely certificate because only the executive producers get right. um, the hardware for the show. I remember those years when he won it all those years in a row and he had it up right there on the desk when he won it after five years. He said, look, we won it five years in a row. And that was when his ratings on the show were kind of lower than Leno's, but winning those awards sort of. That was pretty much a standard every year that Dave would get the, the critical acclaim and, and Jay would by far get the numbers. Get Leno the, would, yeah, but Leno must have hated that, right? Or not really? You know, I think everybody sort of finds their comfort zone. I think Leno was comfortable doing what he did. I don't think he was competitive with Dave at all. And I think Dave, you know, Dave's an artist as, as much as anybody in, the, anybody in the arts. And he didn't want to sacrifice what he was comfortable with in his style of comedy to, to do whatever, maybe get a wider audience, wider appeal. Um, but, you know, that's, that, that's part of what made him so great is, is he did what he found funny. Look, Every night there were at least two or three jokes. I knew we had stronger jokes that would get a bigger reaction. And I'm sure Dave knew it. Not like I'm some comedy whiz that he's not. I'm sure he knew it. But he did the jokes that he wanted to because he found them funny. 
Other hosts might not do that, probably wouldn't do that. They would go for what they thought were just the funniest jokes. And as you know, my favorite joke written by the boys who were the head writers for Carson got absolutely nothing. And the joke was, everybody in New York is sick with the flu. In fact, the two guys that wrote this joke got sick with the flu, had to go home and couldn't finish it. That's, Silent. That's brilliant. It's brilliant. That's, it's an anti-joke. Now, can you, name, can you name one other late night host, including Johnny Carson, that would take as much of a chance and do that joke? I can't. Not on network, for sure. We talked about what show you thought was better, but the better comedian, I think we can all say and agree was Leno. And I think Letterman would even say that as well. Oh, Leno said, first of all, in the Comedy Store documentary that's on right now, I think it's, it's Amazon or Netflix, and on Oprah several years ago, he, without hesitation, said, Jay Leno is hands down the strongest nightclub comedian in America. Dave has no problem saying that. And he knows it's true. In fact, in the Comedy Store documentary, Jay, uh, Dave said, you know, everybody came through here. I mean, Pryor and Klein, all the greats came through here. Brenner, he said, the only comic I never saw have a bad set was Jay Leno. And this was just a few months ago, Letterman said that. So he gives him props. I mean, you can't deny it. It's undeniable. He is a monster. Yeah, he is. He was great. And when I was a kid watching Leno, when he came on Letterman, that was must watch. Must yeah. be TV. Whenever yeah. we knew Leno was going to be on Letterman, oh, we got to watch or we got to record it. Yeah. And then that's why it hurt so much with me as a Letterman fan when he didn't take over the Tonight Show. But you know, it was Leno. It kind of hurt me. Like it was, ouch. I've watched Letterman all these years. Leno's I great, did. but Letterman. I felt, I felt the same way. But now, you know, many years later, I look back on it and this is what, this is really how I feel. Um, you know, Conan got the show. It didn't work out. Um, the whole thing was a fiasco and Conan basically brought the Conan O'Brien show to the tonight show. Whereas the tonight show audience, I mean, my, my father, you know, was in his eighties and nineties. Then my stepmother in her sixties and seventies, and they just, they didn't get, Dave. It was some sort of irreverence gene that was missing in that generation. They got Leno. They got it. And they loved his monologue. And so now Conan takes over and that much older crowd of my parents, I mean, I'm not young, my parents, or when I was a little younger, my grandparents, they just, they just didn't understand the Conan sensibility. Now, you know, Dave, do you really think Dave would have changed his style when he got the Tonight Show? There's no way. Dave is he Dave. He said in interviews, he said in interviews, what, what would your show have been like if you had the Tonight Show? He goes, the same exact one you're seeing now. And it wouldn't have worked. It would have worked. He would have kept the Dave audience, right. but he would have lost. What Leno did was he managed to keep the Johnny Carson audience. That was, that was, I, you know, I, I would assume but, a tactic from the beginning. I mean, cause it, you know, look, nobody else has been able to do that. Nobody else. But 93 through 95 Letterman was the hottest yes. person in America had the largest ratings. And then he hosted the Academy Awards kind of went down from there. And then the whole uh, Hugh Grant thing, the whole Hugh Grant. Yeah. Now, Letterman was the biggest star of 1993 and 94. He was the biggest star. Yeah. Then 
So I think his ratings, if he took over the Tonight Show, would have been wonderful. But if Leno went to CBS, maybe it would have been reversed. Letterman would have been, would have been, yeah, wonderful for like a year or two on the Tonight Show. But all those viewers who used to watch would have would have eventually switched over to Leno because that was more their feel. Yes, but at that time, especially at that time, CBS was known to have by far the oldest viewership. So it might've worked out really well for Jay. Yeah, I think it worked out. Shut up, I'm doing an interview. <laughs> Get him. Quiet. I got a very important person here. He was nominated five times for an Emmy. Oprah has to deal with this constantly. I'm just telling you. Uh, what I wanted to show you, what I wanted to show you, one second, game. hold on. Um, so what I wanted to tell you also, uh, when I was a kid, I heard one of the Letterman writers from the 1980s say, I was a writer, I was a joke writer. So what I did is I sent Letterman a joke every day, six months in a row. He would send a joke over the facts, six months in a row, just keep sending jokes. And he said, and I can't remember which writer this was. And he goes, after six or seven months, Letterman just said, God, all right, enough of this guy. Let's just hire him already. And he got hired on. And I'm That's not sure. That, that, that? Would never, that would never happen because, first of all, he would have to have been approved to fax the show by Bill Sheft. Uh, I don't know what year we're talking about. This is like way when the show first began, like mid-80s, early 80s. Oh, that's before Bill. So they yeah. did have a monologue department then. So it right. may have worked if it may have worked differently. Dave became further and further removed as the years went on. Right. Um, so uh, that may be it may have been a totally different process. Uh, but I, I still don't think that that would happen. They were not going to be like enough already. Get out, get out, you know, just give them a job. Now, if, if the guy wasn't getting it done and they weren't hiring him from his packet, there's no way they were giving him a job. Well, this will be on the outtakes, what I wanted to talk to you about. But when I heard <laughs> that, I was sending jokes. I sent him jokes each day for two months to Craig Kilborn. And I would send them like these. I would send little, little sheets every day with all kinds of stuff in there. And uh, I would do that. And finally I got, and then finally I received a call. We can't accept any of these unsolicited right. jokes. Yep. We don't want them anymore. I said, okay, right. And I kept sending them. And then I get another call, sir, we're serious. We cannot accept any of these. Do not send us any more. And I said, okay. And I kept sending them because I remember this Letterman writer. I'm like, they're going to get sick of me. And I said, and finally someone calls and goes, we, we, <laughs> we will call the police if you keep sending us jokes and we're not fucking around. Oh, that's hilarious. And then finally I just said, the police. Maybe, maybe they don't want me, but I sent in I sent in a shitload of jokes every day. You imagine going to jail, being in a cell with a guy who like triple, triple homicide? What'd you do? Well, I sent jokes. 
on, on a, over the phone line and I wasn't supposed to. Yeah, you my bitch now. <laughs> and and before I said the joke, I would have this. Come on, here comes the funny. That would be my cover letter. Oh my God. They must have hated me. I sent it every morning at like 9 a.m. Well, I, to be frank, I'd call the cops too. You know what? I should be in jail right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wanted to uh, I wanted to share that with you. So when when you went off Leno, you went to what? So what happened? You were on Leno, and then once you were away from Leno, you went to uh, once I, I was away from Leno. Um, um, where did I go? There? I had a bunch of, I did a bunch more pilots. I wrote down the George Lopez uh, uh, Tonight pilot. Um, I worked on a pilot with uh, Robert Townsend, who's a genius. So I was a head writer on that show. And that was weird because one of my writers was Franklin Ajay, who's one of the funniest comedians who ever lived, who was one of the first albums I ever bought. By the way, if you don't know Franklin Ajay, you've got to get not only his album, but you've got to get his book too. Uh, I think it's called Comic Lives. Genius. Genius. Um, he was on the show Deadwood. You'd know him if you saw him. You'd know him if you saw him. Uh, but, I, but it was weird because he was one of my writers. And it was weird running a staff where with a writer that I had idolized as a child. So, um, but, so I had gone on to do a bunch of stuff. And then, you know, at, once I worked with Tom Green, 2003, we became best friends and I saw what a creative genius he was. So we were, we've worked together on many, many shows since then. So you were there when Letterman had his heart surgery. I was, yes. And there was no show for six weeks, six or seven weeks. It, it was a long time. And, and, you know, obviously, as great as modern medicine is, everybody was very worried for him. You know, his, his father had passed away at a young age. But Dave was, they told him, uh, uh, you know, Dave was a guy that jogged 12 miles every day. And so they told him he had the body of an athlete. I mean, he's 6'3 and weighed 170. You know, I'm 5'10 and weigh almost 190. So he was a string bean, you know, and that's true of most of the people in television. When you meet them, they're much thinner because it really does add weight. But he was in terrific shape, had the quintuple bypass. And when he came back that night, uh, the first night back, he was very emotional. He had his whole surgical team there lined up and he shook their hands one by one. And the last joke of the monologue was mine. And it was a very exciting moment for me because it was reprinted on, I think, the second or third page of the New York Post, the only joke they posted from the monologue. So it meant a lot. I happen to have the cue card, in fact. Show me, please. Okay. So uh, we start with the first joke. I knew nothing about the surgery. Uh, the operating room was very crowded. Three surgeons, three nurses, anesthesiologists, Paul in the band, <laughs> Just I remember the joke. Yeah. You do. And this was the big one. Okay. And, and by the way, a big one for Dave. It wouldn't work for anybody else, but it's it's for Dave. When I found out I had to have a quintuple bypass, my entire career flashed before my eyes. And I'll be honest with you, it was mostly awkward silences. I remember so, that that joke. And on the back is the actual post article, and there's my joke on the bottom. That's awesome it's yeah, was such a good, good joke it's such a good joke oh thank you sir thank when you when i heard that i remember hearing that originally it was mostly awkward silences it's just so that's cool. amazing that you remember that 
That's so, I mean, I remember that whole show and Robin Williams when he came on. Yeah. And uh, yeah. but do, do you think the heart surgery changed Letterman, making him more, I know he was hard to work for maybe sometimes. Do you think that loosened him up a little bit? Or not really? I, I think it definitely changed his perspective. I think more than anything, Have a Child really changed him. Yeah. Really changed him. But you weren't there when he had a kid, so you don't know. Uh, Harry Bourne, no, I don't know. He wasn't. because so Harry was born was in 2003 or four. I think. Yeah, my son's name is Harry, and Dave's father's name was Harry. So, um, and my daughter's first gig as an actress was the New Year's Baby on the show. <laughs> Oh, so you had her on the show. Yeah, well, what's really funny is uh, uh, we used to play this little game on Dave. It started years before I got there. When he would arrive in the dressing room, Tony and I would already be there. And it started with Bill Shep, the guy before me, the gentleman before me, in that the first thing Dave would do when he came in would be to open the closet. And there was always something that we would hide in there for him as a surprise. So one day... I wouldn't do this now. Um, I don't know why I did it. But one day I had my uh, my um, my ex-wife now come down with our newborn daughter and just put her in the in the thing in the closet. And so Dave came in. He, he comes in, you know, chewing gum and he opens a closet door. He goes, Tony, Gabe, look, it's a baby. <laughs> and my wife was hiding in the makeup room, which was next door. Oh, my gosh, it's a baby. And so then she came out and he knew her and he had sent her. He was so nice. He sent her a card when she gave birth and a huge bouquet of flowers in the hospital. And then he called the house, you know, um, you know, Dave, Dave's a very private guy. So for him to reach out like that, it was just very nice. Very nice. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, what a moment that must have been, you know, oh. that must have been really cool. Were your kids ever on the Halloween stuff or they were too young? No, but I have a really funny clip of Harry in one of the Halloween costumes. I did bring one home. Oh, um, it's uh, yeah. It's kind of a long story in the, in the, uh, well, you were, you're a baseball fan in the nineties. Uh, the Yankees had a, a, um, a relief pitcher named John Rocker, ornery guy, ornery, nasty guy. I don't Was it Rocker on Atlanta? Or he came to the yeah. Yankees at was, the end. He was on Atlanta, and then he came to the Yankees. Came to the Yankees at the end. But a very, very, let's just say conservative, uh, 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 well, more than conservative. Uh, he, he had said some incendiary racial stuff. But then what you really want to do to ingratiate yourself with New York fans was after a bad performance, um, they booed him, and he gave them the finger. So the Halloween costume was John Rocker's middle finger. And it's a perfect finger, except for the whole cut out for the face. You know, the prop department makes these some scratch and they're unbelievable. So I took it home and there's a hilarious scene. My son was probably about, I don't know, six years old. And he's really unsteady because there's really no place to walk. You know, they just kind of show up at the door and stand there on Letterman. They don't have to walk. Jerry's so walking down the hall and this is one of our home movies. And you can see the whole finger just kind of going like this and then straight down. And you go, oh, oh, and he oh, wasn't hurt that's funny. Fun. We've watched it hundreds of times. That is hysterical. That's funny. I've never told that story. Uh, <laughs> so you also wrote for two presidents. Is that oh, true? Right, right. That, that, that whole thing. You've written um, for two presidents. Why are you trying to make me feel like shit? I haven't done anything. I've opened yeah. for Sarah Silverman once. That's it for me. 
but you shared the stage with Sarah Silverman. That's a big deal. Right. Okay, so when I say I wrote for them, uh, well, I did write for them. Well, I did write for one, I should say, and the other I contributed in writing. When we had Bush on Leno, when we had him on the show when he was president, you know, we had sketches, we had some stuff that we did with him and everybody, like I said before, would contribute lines. So I've written lines that Bush has delivered. Clinton, though, was a much more direct thing. When Hillary was running for Senate in New York, and it was also her 53rd birthday, a long time ago, um, they had a, uh, a fundraiser for her. It was a big event at Roseland Ballroom, which is right across from Letterman's studio. And Tom Cruise was on the show. Nathan Lane was hosting. It was Chevy Chase. It was Cher. It was, I mean, it was just, you know, one, uh, Robert De Niro. Um, it was one after the other. And I wrote a sketch where De Niro teaches Clinton how to talk more like a New Yorker. And then it was, you know, like he's teaching him, forget about it. And Clinton's like, I don't know, forget about it. No, no, forget about it. Forget about it. Forget about it. So anyway, it was this whole thing. And so uh, afterward at the rap party, um, uh, Clinton, you know, who's president, said, and he is the most, I mean, you know, look, and I'm not saying this to show off. It's just because I'm really old. I started with like Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock and Ray Romano and Eddie Murphy and Adam Sandler. And Eddie Murphy had, there's a one guy, the one guy I can think of that had just this X factor, this power radiating out of him. And Clint, Clinton was like that too. So uh, you, you just this power when you were in his presence. Uh, and he said to me, so this was after the sketch. First time I see him after the sketch, he said, so how did I do? Did I do okay? Was that okay? What am I going to say? No, Mr. President, you were awful. And, and actually, the funny thing is, is he was brilliant. De Niro was nervous as hell. Yeah. And Clinton backstage was calming him down. Clinton was like, this is nothing. You can do this in your sleep. You know, it was so funny. So, um, so I said, no, Mr. President, you were great. You know, you're unbelievable. And he looked me in the eye and he, and he kept shaking my hand and he said, and your name is Gabe, right? I said, yes. And I knew that was going into the filing system and I could almost guarantee, in fact, it's been exactly 20 years that if I met him now, he would remember my name. Like that party, there were hundreds and hundreds of people. And about an hour later, I was at the bar and Clinton sees me from ways away, 30 feet away. And he goes, Gabe, you get everything okay? You got your drink okay? It was like, this guy's press amazing amazing say what you want about him he knew how to handle people and he was a charmer he knew how to charm yep. people he was a people person yeah well yeah we know that um uh, he sure loved to please people game yes he did and and vice versa <laughs> uh, <laughs> you oh know. you think of those times where oh the monica Lewinsky scandal you think of those times and it's like Oh, she got a blowjob. Every night was a blowjob joke. And then you come to Trump and it's just like, my God, it makes Bill Clinton look like nothing. President Clinton has hired two spiritual advisors to meet and pray with him during his impeachment trial. Great. Just what Clinton needs. More people kneeling in the Oval Office. <laughs> you know, every night we, we closed. And as you can see, it's got the hashtag. We closed with it. A Monica blowjob joke every night. Uh, Clinton was at Madison Square Garden yesterday for a college basketball game. You know, Clinton, he's always had some cheerleader in him, or is it the other way around? I mean, every night. Every, every night, night there was a bill. And so when people, 
you know, I hear people say, oh, Dave was a raging liberal and they don't remember. It was years of Clinton jokes night after night. And also, you know, Dave was always a candidate guy. He did like Clinton a lot and with the scandal and 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 not really with the scandal because he kind of understood that, I guess. But the, yeah. you know, the lying under oath and all of that definitely lost some respect for him. Um, you know, uh, uh, he was a big fan of, of, of Bob Dole, who, who is a good man, um, uh, you know, and he just never respected Trump, even when he was, you know, in New York. I mean, look, growing up in New York, we kind of knew what he was about and uh, he's a guy, he votes for the guy, not the party. I agree. I remember when he had Donald on all the time, he would just rip him a new one. He would totally, yeah. he would totally grill him. Oh yeah. Hey Donald, is that your tie or your tongue? Your tongue. You remember <laughs> when Johnny died. And by uh, the way, what? that always killed me when Dave would do that. <laughs> the the, uh, the belt thing. I'm serious. You remember when Carson died, Letterman, the next night, I believe, or the same night he died, I can't remember. The whole monologue was what, what, what Carson sent into him over the years as monologue jokes. Because Johnny would write him jokes yes, and would. send them into Dave. And that whole monologue, the, the night after he died or the same night, was all ones he sent in. Yeah. And one of the jokes was, and I can't remember, maybe you can recall it better than I, about uh, there's there's a rover in space and it can't identify anything except Donald's hair or something, Donald Trump's hair. I can't remember the joke, but it was something like that. In space, you see water and then his hair. And that was, the I can't remember, but it was something like that. It was very funny. Right, right. Well, you know, I feel the way, about, uh, I feel about Dave the way Dave does about Johnny that I owe my entire career to him. Me too. I, well, I mean, not me. I wasn't hired on Dave. Now I'm too old to get hired anywhere, Gabe. No, no, no. But no, no, you're not. In fact, um, uh, I was uh, uh, probably about 15 years older than anybody on staff in my first job in TV. Remember, I've been doing stand-up for 14 years already. I already had a career for quite a while. So let me ask you about that. If you want to talk about that, I can have this on towards the beginning. Uh, when you did stand up, is there anything you remember? I know you said you did shows with Sam Kinison and uh, Seinfeld. Is there anything you want to share with us that you remember way back when you were when, when you were with like Rock and Seinfeld? you know, and Eddie Murphy, is there something that you remember more specifically than others? Uh, yeah, mostly stuff I can't discuss. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, sure. I have memories with all of them. I have memories of working with Bill Hicks at Caroline's at the sea South Street Seaport, you know, beautiful club. And I remember it well also because I had 103 fever and I went on stage anyway because I wasn't going to miss an opportunity to work with Bill Hicks. And as you know, if you've ever been on stage when you have fever or you're sick, you totally forget about it in the time you're up there. And then you come off and you just collapse. Uh, uh, I remember opening New Year's week for Jerry Seinfeld, 1986, uh, at Caroline's, uh, when it was a really small club on 26th Street. 
And it was the one time in my whole career, both my parents came down to see me and they didn't really know, you know, Jerry wasn't a household name by any means then, but they knew he was a big deal on the comedy circuit. And he just said some really, really nice things about me to them. And that really, you know, they carried that with them. So that was very memorable for me working with Kinnison. Sam, um, is there something you can share about Sam? About well, you know, Sam it was the mid 80s. It was the Beverly Hills cop party. We both enjoyed some stuff together and, uh, <laughs> It's long, long, long in my past and was long in Sam's past, too. And that was what was really a, a big part of the tragedy was that he really had cleaned everything up. Yeah. Um, but we had fun. We definitely had fun. Yeah. Uh, what about Eddie Murphy? Well, I was there the night Eddie Murphy came into the comic strip and Chris Rock was just a late night act there. He hadn't really he passed auditions, but he wasn't getting on the regular book show yet. So he's sitting at the bar. Eddie comes in. I'm emceeing. And he points to, like, Chris is right in his line of vision. He says, does he work here? I said, he's a late night guy, but he's really funny. And it was first show Saturday, packed house. The comic strip first show Saturday. It's like, you're going to kill. But Chris was already brilliant. And so Chris went up, had a killer set, and just really killed it. Next thing I know, uh, Eddie takes him, sits down in the booth with him. They talk for a couple hours. And he flies him out to L.A. to do Beverly Hills Cop 2 at that point. This is 1987, I think. And who could have known that Chris's career would, you know, be where it was? Because Eddie was the biggest star in the world. You know, during the 80s, excuse me, a lot of people forget. he would, There was a time when he was bigger than Tom Cruise or John Travolta ever were, even in their heyday. He was on the front of Newsweek as Mr. Box Office. When he did uh, Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop, I mean, he was just destroying the competition at the box office. No one came close. Well, Gabe, this has been amazing. I really appreciate you being on my first inaugural Coop's Corner. I'm, I'm honored that you asked. Again, seriously, John. And, and will you let my listeners know where you teach? I know you mentioned it earlier in the show. Yes, it's Flappers Comedy Club and Restaurant in, in uh, Burbank, California. Um, they have they have so many classes. They have a separate university, uh, four different levels of stand-up classes, sketch writing. I teach the writing for late night. And I also teach their, it's, it's a more advanced level of stand-up, getting your five minutes set together for TV. So that's stand-up level four. So I teach both of those classes. And like I said, they can reach me through Flappers or... Uh, at Gableson, G-A-B-E-L-S-O-N. Follow me on Twitter and uh, Instagram. I, I remember when we first met and I heard you were a Letterman writer. And I remember the night I met you. It was, I remember we sat and we talked for about a half hour. It was one of the most memorable nights I ever. Um, yeah, it was one of my most memorable nights I ever had, Gabe. So, and I'm sure you remember it too. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sorry, I'm older than you. My memory's not great. I I that night, I I I mean, I can remember time. I I I don't remember. I got to wait. Be wait, are you saying you don't remember the night you met me? No, we've seen each other many times. I mean, not in a long time, but I, I can't remember the actual night that we met. How can you not remember the night? You're my hero. You're my writing idol. And you don't remember the night I met you? John, you have to understand. I mean, I mean, 
hundreds, thousands of, uh, of comics, and we've known each other so long, I'm surprised you remember it. Because you're honestly, my, you're my mentor. Fuck them. This is about me, Gabe, and you forget. I'm sorry. Get I, off my show. I, Get out of here. You're off. I'm, you're off. No, no, no. You're help off. It. I don't, we'll be right I, back. You're off my show, Gabe. God damn it. My memory sucks. Can't remember. <laughs> I think that was pretty real. Yeah. I think that'll play real. Yeah. yeah.